Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today Paul and I are moving into very, very unusual territory for us and we're incredibly excited about it. We're going to venture into um, arguably a a non-musical subject area and this came about when I received an incredible email from one of our subscribers and she she put forward some amazing ideas and perspectives that both Paul and I had never contemplated. As blokes, we'd simply ignored a whole universe of ideas about what it's like to be a fan of 10cc. And uh, after a, a couple of equally long emails from this person, an Australian, it dawned on me that it was an absolute no-brainer that we invite her and her sister to join us because I think today we're going to have a fascinating discussion and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Tanya and Lindy Smith from Melbourne. Welcome. Thank you very much. Hello, Sean. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tanya. Hello, Lindy. (laughs) Hi, Lindy. Yes, hello, Sean. Hello, Paul. It's great to be involved in this wonderful podcast. We've been enjoying it so much. Well, thank thank you. you very much. And, uh, and that means an awful lot to us and we, we get, it's a real thrill when we hear back from, from people either through the Facebook groups or uh, those lovely rare emails that come through from our usually very shy subscribers. I, I occasionally put out emails, usually plugging a piece of music that I've just uh, completed and uh, it's wonderful when we get a reply and Tanya thank you so much for, um, for putting your head above the parapet. Um, honestly, you knocked us sideways uh, with your perspectives, and w- honestly, we, we we can't wait to get stuck in today. Well, thank you very much. Can I just say that it's uh, it wasn't all um, my reactions. It was a culmination of several conversations that Lindy and I were having as we were comparing notes uh, on our reactions to the podcast, but also to the. Uh, rehearing of, of a lot of this music that we loved when, you know, in the 70s, um, a very long time ago, and we hadn't revisited for several decades. So it was exciting just to respond to the music again after all this this time had passed. And so it was it was uh, it was our collective reactions to that. Well, thank you both in in that case. Um, can before we we get stuck into some of those. Um, fascinating and contentious things that we talked about. Um, Can we ask how you kind of entered the 10CC universe? Take us back in time to how you got into this fascinating band. I had been a great fan of Frank Zappa. Ah. And I must say that uh, the Apostrophe album had high rotation in our household, which Tanya couldn't avoid either. She was in the bedroom next door. <laughs> and we just loved his humour and his innovation. The music was wacky. The ideas were wacky. The songs were catchy. We just loved doing all the air guitar and 
everything else that we could along with that, Frank Zappa. <laughs> so I guess that was the kind of music that we liked. And then along came 10CC and we uh, realised how funny they were and creative they were. So I guess it struck a chord. Of course, by the time Consequences came along, uh, we were rusted on fans and just <laughs> loved Consequences, stayed um, with Godly and Cream in particular. I'm a great fan of Godly and Cream uh, through all their albums, but particularly the first three, and uh, followed them through, just really enjoyed everything they did. Oh, fantastic. So did you come in right at the start with, with the 1973 album? Is that where you kind of first heard them? I think... It was I'm Not In Love, wasn't it, Lindy, that that first brought them to our consciousness and that we were just so impressed with that, uh, that their production as well as, well as, as the song and just um, I was very interested at the time in, in, in the recording process and so became very fascinated with the technical side of it but also just fell in love with the song, of course, as many people have. And I think for that was the entry point for us. But correct me if I'm wrong, Lindy. No, I think that's right. Uh, there was a, a very popular uh, television program in Australia. You might have heard about it. Uh, it became a bit of a national pastime at 6 o'clock every Sunday. Anyone under the age of about 35 sat down and watched this I guess it's Australia's version of Top of the Pops. Mm. And we would sit down and watch that every Sunday. And being a country that's a long way away, we relied a lot on videos. And uh, this show did as well, as long as well as promoting local bands. And so we started seeing these videos of, of breaking bands. And uh, I think that's probably when we first uh, saw 10CC as well. Uh, and follow them from there because we were going to watch them anyway. We were sitting down every Sunday night and, and they were this amazing band that was getting a lot of attention at the time. Sure. Was that was that Countdown? All right. Now, we've got a, uh, a new single, which is from the group 10CC, and it's about American tourists in Jamaica. It's from their new album, and this is called Dreadlock Holiday. Yes. Yeah, that's. Um, I've watched quite a few bits of that on YouTube. It seems to have even more of a central role in Australia than than Top of the Pops did, because it really? wasn't just bands playing. There was interviews. It it went into quite a lot of depth as well, as as I recall. Mm. And it broke quite a few bands internationally, like ABBA, for example, right. took off in Australia before the rest of the world. Um, yeah. So it was very influential, kind of beyond our our borders. But um, but yes, I think I think what we did is we uh, fell in love with I'm Not in Love, and then got the album, and then we went through the back catalog, mm. right back to Hot Legs, um, which was which was a great discovery. Yes, um, yeah. we, we we found a, a cassette in a you know um, cheapest chips department mm. store for about four dollars of of the, the Hot Legs album, and um, felt very special having discovered that, having unearthed that. Yes. And then we kind of went forward up through to um, uh, Bloody Tourists, I guess. And then we then we started to lose interest a bit in the uh, post-split 10cc mm. uh, music and focus more on the Godly and Cream albums. But even then, we sort of, our interest tapered off a bit after Ismism, which is why it's been great to 
have the podcast to expose us to what they've been doing since all this music that we missed. Yes, and a lot of which is is quite hit and miss, I suppose, if we're if we're brutally honest. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah I agree. That's right. Mm. Do, Doddy definitely agrees. Yeah. <laughs> he, he always makes an appearance. Well, maybe, I've maybe not heard, he's disagreeing. I've, I've not heard Ziggy yet, Paul. Uh, Ziggy's been banned to another room, oh. uh, so she may not be uh, audible during the remainder of this podcast. But rest assured, she's around. Brilliant, brilliant. And I guess with you investigating the back catalogue, I was fascinated by what you both told me by email about your reaction to some of the early material. Paul and I have been waxing lyrical about that that first album, being very, very enthusiastic about the what we see as brilliant pastiches of, of 50s music, 50s iconography, etc. But I was knocked sideways by what you both said about your take on the Donners, uh, the Dean, the Dean and I sanding in my face, etc. Um, let me throw the ball into your court. I'd, I'd love to, to hear you both talk about your reaction to that stuff. You know, it was a bit of parody, and uh, it was just that I I couldn't understand why it was seen to be so uh, innovative and so musically so important musically. Um, the the themes of uh, O'Donna and Santa My Face, etc. There's clearly this strong sort of fifties vibe, and I just didn't find them very relatable at all the the storylines or the characters it you know was it was i don't want to um be too negative uh they were good little album tracks but i was just having trouble comprehending why you guys felt them that they were so important they were such breakthrough songs and so that led me to to wonder what i was missing you know is there something in there that i can't hear or is it just that the characters in the story don't really resonate with me because of the cultural differences or um, just because of the the nature of the kind of the boy meets girl sort of um, theme. And uh, I think Lindy and I have got slightly different views on some of the songs. I, I, I think um, The Dean and I is, is a great song and I, I, I like it because it's got that classic um, Godly and Cream, you know, sort of six songs within a song. There's it <laughs> quite distinct uh, melodies in there, and they're also uh, that they've all each has got its own can stand on its own. It's 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 got its own value and merit. Yeah. And yet um, they never stay uh, for too long. Just they never stay there long enough for you to lose interest. You move to another mm. melody or uh, or chord structure, and um, so I found that really kind of refreshing and innovative but the other songs uh, just just left me a little bit cold I think compared to particularly some of the Hot Legs work some of the more sort of 60s inspired or folk inspired songs that's interesting I was going to ask 
Well, okay, yeah, the, the, the contrast with, with Hot Legs and the first album, that, that's a point I'd like to pick up on. I've heard the first album first and then, like you, was thrilled to discover the Hot Legs album. I'd been looking for it and eventually I found it at a record fair. And I loved the music uh, on the 10TC debut album, of course, was just very excited by the dynamism of the music. But what I loved about the Hot Legs album was the kind of open-heartedness of the, of the songs. They were very innocent, yearning almost. And they had this, um, that was kind of, had a covering over by the time, you know, the, the, by the time they came to the 1973 album, they were different people operating in a different way. It was a completely different band and they were going for this pastiche feel all the way through. They'd kind of hidden their real feelings away, which was viable because that's what they wanted to do. They, it was a different songwriting project. I don't know whether that's anything that's similar to your experience that in terms of the difference lyrically between the, the two albums. Johnny, don't do it. Johnny, don't do it. Johnny, don't do it. Johnny, don't do it. Well, it seemed very formulaic, the, the first album, 10CC album, you know, that they'd, they'd got an idea about something as well. This works, let's, let's repeat rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Um, so I was a bit frustrated about that because um, it kind of went and went, went against the otherwise very original kind of take that they brought to music, but also different singers. Right? So Hot Legs, you had this beautiful Kevin vocals coming through on some of the songs mm. and then 10CC um, sort of featuring Lowell instead, who's got a great sort of character voice, but it's not a particularly warm, appealing, uh, listenable voice um, over and over again, from, from my yeah. point of view. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, we've, we've often talked on the podcast, haven't we, about Lol's voice being quite abrasive. Um, mm. But for me, there was a spectacular transition from the, uh, the pre-10cc stuff into uh, Donna. It was like an explosion of... of Paul, you said dynamism. I think it's a very, very dynamic track. An immediate, mega catchy piece of fun. And one of the things that made me a huge fan of 10CC when I, I, I look back at the back catalogue was the playfulness. You've mentioned that. The playfulness. Particularly, I think, that element comes from LOL. So when I hear those, those slightly annoying vocals on that first album, I forgive it completely because I, I absolutely adore the humour and playfulness of, of that stuff. Um, where, where do you sit, Lindy, uh, with that, particularly tracks like Donna? Well, I see them as novelty songs. <laughs> and as such, they're not timeless classics. They reflected, I think, a bit of interest in the 1950s at that time with Happy Days and mm. other sort of things that were going on at the time. People were interested in the 1950s. It picked up on all of that. Um, I was a, a young woman interested in my future and the role of women in the community. And the, this just was the kind of topic that would otherwise get an eye roll from me. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking, well, this is just a fantasy. It's something from the past. It's uh, fun, it's a bit of fluff, but it's not going to be something that I'll, that'll be rusted onto my heart. It's one of my favourite classic songs, unlike some of the 
songs that they went on to record later on. Yeah, yeah. When it, it, yeah, the thinking, the ethos behind the songs was so much more sophisticated, wasn't it? Do you see the 50s per se as a, an interesting time in terms of where women fit within that iconography? Do you feel that women have a, a, a demeaning place in, in 50s culture? Oh, look, I think it's just that they don't feature much in the iconography of, of the period. Um, when you think of the 50s, you think of James Dean, you, you think of you know motorbikes and leather jackets, and then sure, there might be the the, the girl on roller skates serving you hamburgers through the the car window door or something, but that but they don't really um, come to the fore as uh, the epitome of of the era, and so I I don't know to what extent that sort of played in subconsciously to our reactions to those fifties inspired songs on that album, but but I think there is a lot more for women in the movements and the, and the music of the 60s and, and later than, the, than there was for the 50s. Yeah. So there, there might be something in there. With soul and Motown and things like that where you've got, a, a, it feels to me, a lot of empowerment for women within, that, uh, within those genres. And the emergence of the female singer-songwriter. Yeah. Well, I'll be damned again but that's not unusual it's just that the moon is full yeah the Joan Baez's the Joni Mitchells uh, yeah. that that was huge and and in terms of our growing up and our musical influences along with you know Frank Zappa we, we they're the sort of people we were listening to as well so um, and that was quite exciting to hear the the female voice the female point of view come through actually not just articulated by a woman but authored by a woman yes yes absolutely revolutionary mm. um how do you feel i mean if we extrapolate donna and 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 sand in my face forward quite a few years to the l album do you do you have the same take on the song sandwiches of you from that album because that's very much set for me anyway it's set in the in the same small town as Donna. Yes, actually, um, I think Sandwiches of You is a, like another version of the Dean and I. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, uh, I'm doing arguing with the dad, and dad won't approve. <laughs> yes. Thanks. But um, I just loved the. It was far more interesting music, and uh, it just went down to a different level. I mean, and it was very funny to talk about. Uh, you know, we're hearing this. Let's talk about a platonic relationship like mature <laughs> and sensible people do. I thought it was just so clever, much more fun, and it didn't come out of a 1950s movie. And it's not something Doris Day would sing about. And it wasn't the plot of Beach Blanket Bingo. It's, it was something new. <laughs> No, I'm with you. It was an, an actual satire, wasn't it, um, uh, on, on lust. And I suppose Donna is a kind of satire on lust, isn't it? But not very successful, Tanya, you don't think? 
Well, it, it just seemed a bit derivative because we also had, you know, the uh, Oh Darling in our heads, the, the Beatles song. And, and so you, you get that immediate reference when you listen to Donna from the first time. And then, you know, the this idea of the kind of 50s uh, sound um, being reproduced in a more formulaic way. I, I want to emphasize, you know, we love 10CC. We, don't, we really don't want to um, be here kind of bagging them in, entirely. It was just um, it was just interesting to kind of draw out uh, the reasons why we might have a different reaction to, to some of the music. No, absolutely. And, and opposing viewpoints are, are healthy and fascinating. It's, it's kept us going this, this past year, Tanya, with the, with the podcast. <laughs> and we like to be a bit controversial as well. We love the band too. Um, and mm. there's nothing, nothing wrong with a, a bit of critique. What about Rubber Bullets? Do you think that's that's a more successful uh, pastiche, Lindy? Sergeant Baker started talking with a bullhorn in his hand. He was cool. He was clear. He was always in command. Well, yes, I I enjoyed that. Um, it had a little bit of a political overtone, which I liked. A little bit, of just, you know, it had references to America, which we were looking at in Australia as well. I was studying political science. I was interested in change and revolution, and and, and so this rubber bullet song just seemed to be a nice way of saying, "Well, we're in on the joke with you," and uh, it was a different topic. So yes, I enjoyed that as well as the music itself, and it was great to dance to at parties. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Were they a, were they a cult at that time in, in Australia, or had they were these songs big hits in Australia? I'm not really sure when they broke out commercially. Um, Rubber Bullets wasn't wasn't a, such a big hit, right? Um, was it I'm Not in Love that would really was their their breakthrough completely? Yes, I believe yeah. it was. It was, mm. um, and they were actually more successful as um, after the split uh, because. The reform, the smaller 10cc came out in the late 70s, and so you had not only their clever videos, but you had their live performances as well. Mm. And they did a very successful uh, tour to promote. I guess it would have been Deceptive Beans. It was 1977, yeah, they... wasn't it? Yeah. 1977. Yeah. Yeah, and so they'd never toured before then, and um, and Golly and Cream never toured at any time either. I'm not in love. Got up to number three in the charts, and that was certainly their most successful song. Right. Uh, Deceptive Benz was their most successful album. Okay. Uh, though it didn't reach number one, and uh, that was about it for 10CC. I think I Bloody then. Tourist did okay, didn't it? But it wasn't wasn't quite as successful as the others. But mm. yeah, they they hung in there for a bit, but uh, and but that was it. And and they've. Lindy, I think you looked up when they um, toured again subsequently. It's just the, the Graham Goldman version of 10cc has been out a lot in the last few years. Mm. I think he, well, he's been, he was here earlier this year, just before the lockdown, um, and has been doing a, a decent number of dates, but in, in fairly small venues. But mm. he's been back, I think, I think it was five times, isn't it, Lindy? Um, so there, there must be a decent following here for him to keep returning. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's right. He, he, when we interviewed him, he told us he'd only just managed to get back um, 
I think uh, yes, they were in. They were touring Australia in late February this year. I think. Um, That's right. Probably, probably the last live work they did um, before they had to stop. How else do you feel that 10CC represent women throughout their lyrics? We, we've talked a lot about the first album, but um, I'd be fascinated on your take of, of where women sit within those songs. So we've, we've got some theories. Uh, <laughs> totally good. <laughs> uh, again, uh, one, there's a big caveat that goes at the front of this is that um, a lot of what might sound like criticism needs to be considered in the context of what everyone else was doing in rock and pop music at the time and mm. what was what what were the prevailing images in popular culture at the time so we it we're trying very hard not to hold them up to an unfair standard um, that that said um, there is a you know to our ears anyway um, there, there's some fairly distinct stereotypes that come through repeatedly in their songs, not only kind of during the 70s, but but through the the 80s, um, on, in terms of both the 10cc output and the Godly and Cream output. Okay. Um, and it, it's a bit like you, you were talking in one of the podcasts, Sean, about some recurring themes uh, in that, that you spotted. I think in the, in the and, and so on. The, <laughs> well, you were talking about um, I think the Stuart Goldman's songs and at one point said um trouble in paradise trouble in paradise yeah Yeah. um uh what were some of the others money Um, money corruption money and greed yeah um so in a in a similar vein um we've kind of um been able to develop our own little typology of, Mm. of of where some of the songs fit and I mean, Lindy and I don't necessarily agree on all of this, but um, broadly speaking, it's it's pretty clear to to call out the songs that really um, play up the notion of the the woman as an object of very pure but possessive love, you know, sort of the mm. good wife image. And there's a there's a bunch of those, um, and uh, some of them you've you've discussed in in your podcast and sort of made the point, I think, um, about you know enough already we about hearing about how wonderful Gloria is for example um, <laughs> but uh, there's there's also um, this idea of uh, the more manipulative and or traitorous woman um, who we sort of uh, uh, dobbed the the kind of black widow figure mm. and um, she comes through in in songs like you know cat's eyes on birds of prey and in a few other of the, the later uh, albums, um, including Meanwhile. Uh, and then there's the, the notion of the woman who's more of a victim, and she's really someone who's to be pitied either because of um, the circumstances she's found herself in or her own naivete, which means she's kind of... Um, uh, in partly guilty of uh, you know falling into victimhood, mm. um, and that that sort of includes the the songs that reference um, you know prostitutes, but it's also 
things like, you know, Under Your Thumb, um, Working Girls in Window in the Jungle, which I find quite an interesting song um, mm. because of the way it, it talks about um, women as being subject to harassment and discrimination in the workplace, but there's also an, a sense of complicity in that as well, this idea that, well, you know, if you want to be a star, this is what you have to go through. Working girls don't stand a chance Typing pools are full of daily fans Office Romeo's believe Dictation is the statutory debt so that's that, that's kind of an interesting twist on the theme, but mm. that essentially there seems to be a few that kind of fall into that broad category of the woman as a victim, and then there's the woman as the, the temptress, you know, the object of desire or fantasy. I think that was one of your themes, um, Sean, was the the fantasy theme, yeah. and um, so that that picks up your you know I'm Mandy's and Shock on the Tube and uh, and Headroom and things like that. And then there's this other category, which is a little bit hard to pin down, but there's there's a few songs where um, the the woman is just it just disappointed the the male character. Um, you know, the in something like "Take This Woman," that the sex might be great, but the rest is is a complete nightmare. Or um, you know, she's just become half filled with silicon. Yeah, get your and get your bongos out of my kitchen. They're driving me, <laughs> they're driving me nuts. It's a very yeah, st- yeah. The the modern man blues has got the oh. nastiest lyrics Ooh, in it. Um, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I must admit. So that's, that's kind of the the broad sort of uh, take, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, but we're that we're but we're able to kind of um, put most songs into one of those categories. Um, there's a few that span them, and they're they're probably the most interesting songs. You brought up uh, Modern Man Blues there, Tanya. Do you want to uh, talk us through your take on, on that lyric? I think we all agree that it is uh, it is particularly, I won't say distasteful, but there's a, a, a definite nasty edge, isn't there? Yeah, so basically, you know, he's, he's just uh, so excited that his nagging, bitching wife is leaving him and so he can sort of carry on unfettered with his lover um hooray uh, and it's that's that's fine um but it's just it's it's quite shocking how um pointed the uh, and nasty some of the the lyrics are it's it's just a bit of an album filler though so you know we probably shouldn't give it too much weight um but i the the the, the ones i think we find interesting um and, and again, Lindy should correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, come in with your own views. But is is, is songs like um, uh, Golden Ring where uh, it was perceived to be quite a romantic 
song. Mm-hmm. And when Lindy and I heard it, we thought, oh, this isn't, this isn't a very fair depiction of the, the woman in this story. Um, what's going on there? You know, it's this, it's this very sort of self-serving storyline where um, the guys, the narrator saying, well, you know, if she'd, if she'd only stuck with me, um, then she would have been happy. When I walked her down the aisle and gave her one golden ring, one golden ring, one golden ring to make her happy. Those are the ones that almost I find even more um, puzzling slash disturbing on listening, on repeated listening. Okay. Isn't there a, a happy payoff, though, at the end of, of Golden Rings, where it appears that she kept his ring because she was actually happier and more in love with him? I think that might be your romantic interpretation. Ah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, was a, that was our interpretation. Um, yeah, I'm, is... I've got the lyric in front of me. It's not really, it's not really clear. What, what do you think? What do you think happened in this in the story? Well, I think it's a comeuppance song. She's got her comeuppance. We know right from the beginning that um, even as she was walking down the aisle, there was something about her smile which indicated that she was a bit of a conniving person, and he didn't necessarily want to get married, but he gave her the ring that was supposed to make her happy. Right. Then she moved on to somebody else. And I'm not quite sure why the second marriage failed, but I think it had to do with her getting boredom uh, through having to do too much housework. I'm not sure, really. Oh, but in the end, she ends up in poverty. She loses her looks. Uh, she loses her money. She's as miserable as a bandicoot. And it serves her <laughs> And I'm not sure about what the moral of the story is. I mean, should she have not married the first guy either? I mean, maybe she should have just got an education and got a decent job. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what the point of the song is. The fact that she still has the ring, maybe you know, she was keeping it as a reminder not to make that mistake again. <laughs> I certainly didn't see it as a romantic song. And I guess also the thing about Godly and Cream is that uh, when it comes to their the love-type songs that they write, they are, write more about love gone wrong and life gone wrong as opposed to the more romantic songs that uh, Stuart and Goldman write. No, absolutely and true. And so I guess I always have a bit of a cynical approach when it comes to looking at the songs that they have written yeah, about these kind of Yeah, songs. I mean, they have a cynical approach to everything, really, don't they? And uh, um, not sure that, I don't know, I'm not sure they ever write about direct personal experience. Um, Apart from things like Punchbag? Okay, and, all uh, right. and Worm and the Rattlesnake, I suppose, they're, they're autobiographical, aren't no, they? No, you're right, Sean, you're right, of course. But in terms of romantic love or relationship songs, I'm struggling, and please correct me if you can find one, a song from either Kevin or Lowell that is about direct personal experience, whereas with Eric and Graham, uh, you don't always get them, some are story songs, but and Eric particularly, whether you like his lyrics or not, uh, uh, and then, then by now, probably not the majority either, because he's responsible for a lot of those fantasy characters. But he does write about real life. We know that because he said this song was about, you know, this aspect of real life, etc. But yeah, but Godly and Cream. Um, so that then brings up the point uh, of the unreliable narrator, I suppose. Absolutely. I was going to say, make exactly the a, same point. 
an author or a song writer is allowed or is he or she allowed to just write from any viewpoint not necessarily talking about him or herself and therefore are we able to criticize the writer because of what he's written yes yeah, so then then they're by no means representative of their their actual views on life i think or, or are they come come back at us please they might be they might be i should have told you all i wanted was to have some fun but you wanted me to be the permanent one we we spotted a bit of uh, a theme which Lindy might want to elaborate on around um, the idea of entrapment which comes through quite strongly in the godly and cream songs the later years and uh, I, I don't know if that relates to any sense of uh, personal experience um, but there's there are quite a few songs that are variations on on that theme particularly around um, being trapped in marriage um, with what kind of wedding bells being I guess uh, a real exemplar there yeah. um, but I think um, the the other point to make though is um, I mean you can't really expect you can't really expect men to be able to write from a woman's point of view. So we want to be clear that we're we're not complaining that they're not writing more effectively about the women's perspective on things. I mean, really good writers can do that, but that's that's a pretty tall order. Um, and the other point to make is it's it's not just the women who are being completely stereotyped there's also you know men being stereotyped in in these stories as well you know the the devoted husband the the the, the kind of jilted lover um so there there's almost a corollary for for the, the female stereotypes that you see in some of the male characters i guess we're just um we're, would have loved to see you know a few more kind of three-dimensional uh, female characters or more interesting storylines, um, and I think we're going to come to one. Which we, we found <laughs> one that um, that where we thought, oh yes, you know, we can we can relate to this character and we enjoy this. I think I know exactly who you're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but the the even in these situations where you know that that the guy might be the 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 victim or the um, the fool or the loser in the story, they're still, in a sense, the the hero or the anti-hero. Um, it, with all the with all the 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 love songs or the uh, the songs about you know um, for, you know whether whether the narrator's very forlorn, they're still pretty um, self-serving. You know, the 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 guy is a fool, but he's a fool for falling in love. Um, he's not a he's not um, is not bad because he's cheated on a woman, even mm. though there's a lot of cheating going on. Mm. <laughs> um, yes. It's not because they've behaved, uh, behaved badly. It, it's just he's still, in a sense, the guy that you're sympathetic to. Yeah. And the only exception really to that is the iceberg character, um, who's, who's just kind of off the charts nuts. <laughs> um, but I was struggling to... Um, I guess see if there was any um, sort of richness in some of these male characters, and particularly anything negative in the male characters. And there isn't really, even the, as I say, the the guys who are um, 
you know, losers or uh, jilted or whatever, they're, they're still the uh, they're still sympathetic. But every time she's going down, she never looks around. I wait on watch you with my lens until she brings the curtain down. Very interesting point, Tanya. Does that apply to the idiot in blackmail? I'm thinking that he comes off worse in the eye of the listener, doesn't he? Don't we look at him with with contempt uh, because he's just been stupid? Or do or do you think that the narrator wants us to side with him against um, the, the girl who's gone off and, and made a fortune from her photos? Do you see where I'm coming from? Yes, well, the hero in that one, of course, is the husband of the girl who uh, was happy enough to see the photos and then turned his wife into a porn star. So I guess he was the winner. <laughs> yeah, touche. Mm. Yeah. Going back to Iceberg, um, which is, you know, one of the most contentious lyrics of all, uh, to be fair to the band there, um, they did make Kevin Godley pull back on, on his original lyric. I'm sure you're aware of that and, and tone it down to a degree. Uh, and he, yeah, he, w- he was pushing the envelope there for sure. Um, um, so, yeah, they, they were obviously aware of the, of the, of the sub- subject matter and tried to, tried to make it more palatable, whether that's... Uh, whether that's a good thing or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But that they did, you know, they decided by committee to go with a, a, a revised version of the lyric. Yeah. You better not deny me something that I might regret. Yeah, and and there's, I mean, there could have been a lot worse, but right. So yeah, the, the sort of um, criticisms that we're making uh, again are, are pretty um, marginal, and um, in the context of the times. Uh, they're not doing anything that anybody else uh, uh, wasn't wasn't doing. Um, it's it's just uh, interesting when you think about how innovative they were, particularly Godly and Cream, musically, um, and they were fantastic lyricists. Um, that there's less of that sense of them being particularly progressive, um, and the. the the, the themes of their songs or the characters in their songs didn't really evolve that much mm. um, over the decades, certainly in terms of kind of male-female relationships anyway. But as Lindy said, that wasn't something they were, they were choosing to write a lot about anyway. So there's, there's not a, a lot of material here to really, um, in, in those later albums, to really sink your teeth into and, and pull apart it from, from this point of view yeah, from yeah. kind of gender stereotypes point of view can you give us examples uh of any male writers in the 70s for example who did have that empathy or at least a more complex writing relationship about women i'm racking my brain trying to think of me any. too I'd, lo- I'd love to know an example if there is one what about dylan do you think lindy Think he got there? He's, well, he's a lot of his lyrics are quite misogynist. I mean, he might, he might be he might be a better inverted commas lyricist, and more challenging and more innovative, surely, as a lyricist than any of the four NCC writers. But there are lots of difficulties with his position regarding women. How about Hal David? If you see me walking down the street. 
And I start to cry each time we meet. Walk on by. He's a very humanist writer, isn't he? Mm. Yes. That's a good. That's a good choice, possibly. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be much misogyny. Uh, and, w- wives and, so, uh, and lovers. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, uh, but there, no, it, no, no, there, there seems to be life? empathy. There seems to be equal empathy for male and female protagonists in those songs. Or maybe I'm reading, it, I'm reading it into the fact that the songs are sung by women. No, um, I, th- I think he's just a very generous, open-hearted lyricist. Uh, why um, th- that? It, it is a song called "Wives and Lovers," isn't it? That song which Jack Jones did. Yeah. Um, th- that's a, perhaps a, a blot on the landscape, but I think I think that was a commission that song. But um, yeah, he's 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 a very very open-hearted writer. Sure. Under, underrated. Mm. Um, I'm that Paul Simon. I know a woman became a wife. These are the very words she uses to describe her life. She said a good day. She said a bad days when I lie in bed and think of things that might have been some damage ever done by the breeze. And some will take eternity to believe. Why should it take the tears of a woman to see how men are? When love breaks down, the lies we tell. Serve to fool ourselves. I'm no longer doubtful of what I'm living for. And if I make you happy, I don't need to do more. Cause you make me feel. You make me feel. You make me feel like a natural woman. What you notice is that the someone like Hal David, but other writers who have written songs which women sing and men sing tend to be your timeless classics. And they're not necessarily a song where you're just reacting to a particular type of person who are talking about love or your your inner emotions. And similarly with 10CC, their most popular song, I'm Not In Love, can be sung by a man or a woman. Godly and Cream, uh, cry can be sung by a man or a woman. It's 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 just such a classic. That's what takes it up to another level, I yes. guess. In terms of uh, men being able to write from a women's perspective. Um, I think the the words to uh, "You make me feel like a natural woman" yeah. written by man, Jerry Goffin. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I guess there's lots yeah. and lots of exceptions to that, but uh, certainly I think as Tanya has pointed out, the the um, the approach that you see in in the music of 10CC individually and together, the members is is of their generation, and um, it's it's easy now to look back and with different eyes. But at the time, I mean, Tanya and I were enjoying that. We weren't sitting there giving it a feminist critique. We were there enjoying the music as well. 
Yeah. That's the way uh, you know rock music was uh, in all across all genres of music. Uh, lots of songs were written from the male perspective, where uh, the the men are either reacting to or um, uh, seeking out a, a, a woman's attention, and uh, that's just not that unusual. And so that that woman they're responding to or reacting to is. Uh, is going to have some kind of a stereotype because that's the easy way of writing the song. We, we, we realise that and it's not a very uh, unusual thing and it's not a, a criticism of itself of, the, of 10cc or God in Queen. She was a smooth operator, you could see it in her dress. I said I'd like to see you later, but I didn't want to press. I was homing like a scanner, did a mental stiffies. But she knew that she was special and she came on like a You mentioned um, in your emails about um, the lack of female collaborators um, for all four of the guys, particularly when they started to branch out and, and, and work with, with different people. They work with a lot of different people, but uh, and there were not many instances, if any, I suppose, of, of working with female musicians. Yeah, the only example is Sarah Vaughan. Yes. I can't think of any others. Um, again, we didn't want to make a big deal of it, but we, it, we just we were asking the question to ourselves. You know, were there any? Who were the female influences around them? What what female musicians were? Uh, you know, dominant in the zeitgeist, or you're moving in the same circles as them, and mm. um, and then it occurred to us, well, you don't really see any of them on any of the album credits, and I think partly that's because you know they had such great high voices that they <laughs> didn't need female backing vocals. Um, yeah, that's a good point, that, actually. To the uh, extent that you know, Kevin um, sang. Uh, Missile Stapleton's part on Sailor, beautifully, I might add. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Bol would uh, take on female character voices all the time. Um, and, and Eric in One Night in Paris. Yeah. Uh, so they, they had that built-in inversatility, but uh, it, it, it was just, we thought, an interesting question to pose ourselves or, you know, what... It, was there an opportunity missed there or, or is is there a reason why that didn't happen or is it just because it was still an era where women weren't particularly prominent in the musical universe anyway? A little of all of those, I think. It may go back to with so many things with 10CC, Strawberry, I suppose, the inception of Strawberry Studios. If you think about that, there's a kind of an ingrained uh, northern... England male work ethic, I suppose. It was set up by guys, um, manned, you know, by secretaries. But you know, all the all the engineers, uh, as far as I'm aware, were male. Um, at the Strawberry, uh, the Stockport Museum, which we've mentioned on occasions, which which talks about the history of Strawberry Studios, there is a, uh, a recording from I think the first 
female engineer at Strawberry who, who arrived there in the late 70s. And she talks about what it was like to be a female engineer at the time. But that was long, I think that was after the direct involvement of any of the 10cc guys. This was like late 70s, early 80s, I'm not exactly sure. So um, it's probably another example of just the, the unknowing maleness of the situation. You know, they start, Strawberry Studios, why wasn't it started or why didn't it involve female uh, staff engineers? I, I don't know. They possibly never even thought about that or something like that. I don't know. Please remember what you've been told. Oh, is not gone. I was just a Because I'm fascinated uh, to hear what you've got to say about that one. I'm still trying to get my head around that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, What's it all about? (laughs) Yeah, I I see a kind of a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing there. What's your take on it, both? We say hooray for Hubcap G. We like (laughs) Hubcap G. We think she's great. Um, She's actually one of the few women in... uh, all of these songs we're talking about, who actually has a name. Um, <laughs> do you know the name of the Dean's daughter? No, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know that the name of the, the fiancé and Johnny Don't Do It uh, is Francine. Yeah. Um, she just ends up dead. But when we get to Hubcap Jenny, we're really um, pleased about her because um, she, of course, <laughs> appears in the song Mud Shots. Uh, this, the song itself is very witty and clever and catchy, and uh, but unusually, uh, rather than the woman just being someone that the protagonist is reaching out to or reacting to, she actually is an active character. Mm. Uh, she's the smart one. She <laughs> she wins the fellow's heart. She gets him to steal for her. Hubcap. Uh, he takes the ball. <laughs> uh, she disappears. The police don't believe she exists, and he still loves her. She's the winner out of all of this. He's the mug. He doesn't even realise that he's been had. And it's a lovely, fun song. And uh, it just sort of jumped out at us as being a wonderful um, example of, of what lots of songs aren't. It was very unusual. And uh, so we like Hub Cut Jenny. <laughs> Brilliant. Is she one of your um, Black Widow femme fatale uh, characters that you mentioned before? No, she doesn't fit into the typology. She's the exception that, that proves the rule from, from our <laughs> point of view. <laughs> and as Lindy said, it's just such a, a great rollicking song as as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it, uh, it it just it deserves a little bit more time in the sunshine yeah and, it, and it, it's lovely to, to give those lyrics a bit of focus actually because i think when we when we were talking about uh the freeze frame album paul uh, mm. we kind of dismissed mug shots a bit didn't we i i was just saying oh, I, I i find it irritating where it's the mug shots and that does really irritate me um I, I don't enjoy the melody or the vocal performance much on the song but it's only 
speaking to you two by email that I visited the lyrics properly and I, and I actually really really enjoyed the story and um, there was that eureka moment when I realised that he, he's talking about himself like exactly like you said Lindy he's the mug he's been um, he's been played like a, a fiddle in this scenario and it's very funny yes and the uh, mug shots um, <laughs> refrain really does fit a rather thick protagonist. I mean, he's not very bright. <laughs> so it does actually all come together nicely. Yeah, I agree. So thanks ever so much for, for sharing that one with us. So where, where do you see then the, the Black Widow fan fatales? Where, 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 where are they scattered around the, uh, the works? The cat's eyes leaps out, um, you know, which isn't to say, you know, that there aren't women like this and it's not a valid story to, to be telling, um, but it is all about this guy who has fallen under the spell of this woman, the boss's wife, and, and um, he's gone on her and she's just clearly using him. And, um, and it's... So it's it, it it's it's got quite strong overtones of this woman being sort of quite um, uh, manipulative, uh, quite um, sort of self self interested, uh, and and uncaring, unempathetic, unsympathetic. So um, that's that's probably a, uh, the the best exemplar. Um, some of the others that leapt out were, um, well, Strange Lover is a weird one. Um, not quite sure where that fits, but this idea of this woman that, that comes to the guy in the nighttime and, um, you know, he has this great experience with her and then she leaves in the morning, um, but she's she's deadly. There's, she's, there's something sinister about her. Mm. Um, so Isn't not, not quite the- sure. Isn't that sorry? Isn't that just a vampire story? Oh, it could be. It that, could that's be. The, that's why I've already, the way I've already always read that one. Um, mm. Even so, there's still a, a sense of malevolence to my mind, anyway. So, uh, and then there's. Um, the, the green-eyed monster is just about uh, uh, a woman who's cheating on her husband. So um, it's just kind of more of a straight, um, you know, scenario yeah. of a kind of woman seeking her own pleasure, kind of despite the commitment she's made, or you know, the impact it's going to have on her partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got something special from Meanwhile here as well, but I have to be honest, I can't actually remember that. I haven't paid much attention to those more recent albums. Yes. To yeah, remind I th- myself I think, of those lyrics. Is that, so I struggle with some of the newer albums. I yeah. mean, um, especially, is, is, is that a boog, the boogie woogie piano one? It's the Dr. 
Dr. John. Yeah. But if you know, if the music doesn't hold if the music doesn't hold you or bring you back, then sometimes the you know, the the you're not brought back to, to analyze that lyric. That we would... Perhaps you were thinking also of the um, the women who track men into marriage. <laughs> Are that falling also within that category of their sort of a little bit scheming and conniving? Uh, and so that would recover then wedding bells. Um, out in the cold might be another one. Um, oh, okay, yeah, interesting. Uh, you never intended to. St- you said you would stay forever, but you didn't stick around. I think was a. Mm. I don't know whether that would be another example of that. Yeah. And, and cry, arguably as well. There's a lot of pain in that relationship, isn't there? Right, but. Uh, as you guys were saying, that's very much gender neutral, isn't it? It yes. sort of rises above. It, it could be sung by anybody of any of any gender. What, what, what do you think about the lyric to "I'm Not in Love," which is probably the most celebrated Tennessee lyric of all, and it is the song, that, despite its amazing musical attributes, is celebrated for its lyric as well. Mm. Mm. Oh, I. I... I don't have any issue with the, the I'm not in love. I, I think it's very clear that the guy's in denial and he is deeply in, in love. Um, mm. And so I, I think it's it's very sweet and mm. uh, a clever twist. So I'd, I'd sort of put that into the category of, you know, the, the woman as being object of quite, of, of, you know, quite pure, well-intentioned love. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with that one. I think, Lindy, you, you're okay with that too, aren't you? Yep. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Can I um, perhaps move into slightly different territory here? I was really interested to hear, hear you talking about cat size there, Tanya. And I'd, I'd, I'd be really interested in, in your thoughts on the title of the album that that song comes from and the cover, um, Birds of Prey. I waited for you in the usual place at the time and uh, I, I can't shift a, the, the thought in my head that birds of prey is a is a pun on on women and of course we have the um, the, the dominatrix on the cover who's invisible all we see is her stockings and and her, and her bondage gear and the, and the whip of course I find it very interesting that she is invisible and I'd be really interested in your thoughts on on that album, its cover, and the title. What what do you reckon? Well, I, I agree. It's an, it's an interesting image. It's an image. I, I agree with you. I think it's she is a. It's a. It's about power and women mm. in positions of power. And the term "birds of prey" actually occurs in an, a song in um, an earlier Ten CC album, which I'm just trying to remember what it was. I don't know where the time. Birds of prey. That's from Brand New Day. Brand New Day. Ah, yeah. oh, yes. Brand yeah. New Day. Yeah. And in that in that context, it's about people who exploit you, people in power, your bosses or whoever. And so mm. I found it interesting that the term "birds of prey" was used again for this album. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's a dominatrix, I guess, then fits in with that idea. It's a woman who's got power, which she may or may not. Will 
uh, kindly um, or wisely. So, but the image itself is, is pretty much an example of um, how women were portrayed at the time and they continue to be portrayed in many ways and even portray themselves. So um, what that led me to have a look at who actually did the design of the sleeve and I'm not sure whether you've had a look at that yourselves. Um, mm -hmm. It was, the fellow who did that was Jeff Halpin who did some work with hyp hypnosis um, now and again. He's okay. still working as a designer. Um, in fact, he was installed in the album cover Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. So very yeah. highly regarded uh, designer who designed for a number of well-known bands such as Black Sabbath and Wings and mm. UK Squeeze and people like that. And I had a look at the album covers that he uh, is that he designed and he rarely used women in album covers, but when he did, uh, there, were th there were four other examples of where he's portrayed a woman on an album cover. And in three of those four covers, the woman is shown in stocking and suspenders, so we have a bit of a theme here. <laughs> so the, the image itself could reflect his approach to how to portray women as well, which mm. again reflects wider views, rather than having anything in particular to do with what Godley and Cream thought about what how women should be portrayed. Sure. I found that quite interesting that yeah. they, uh, in the fourth album that he um, portrayed a woman in, where she isn't in stockings and suspenders, she's in a tight dress, but it's been ripped, so she still shows a bra. So, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's the image of the, um, uh, the, the sexy woman, which I guess we see everywhere in rock music, and, and there it is on Birds of Prey as well. Definitely. Do you, are you with me that it's significant that she's invisible? Okay, well, there's a conversation stopper. Well, maybe, maybe we can give Kevin and Lowell maybe the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that was their idea to to actually delete the, the woman. It'd be nice to think that way, wouldn't it? Because they do think that way and deconstruct things. But I don't know, I've got absolutely no no evidence to back that up. No. And, and you, you might remember, Paul, that when we when we met Kevin in Dublin, we hmm. brought we brought up the title of of this album. I think, unless I'm I'm dreaming it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and do you remember he he was extremely vehement about having n no sexist views, uh, and that his lyrics were never sexist. Um, uh, he was very very strong on that. I, I wonder if if the the album cover here is just a comment on male attitudes, sexual attitudes to women, perhaps. That it's a comment uh, rather than a you know. A, a an endorsement a, a belief but, that they hold yeah yeah, yeah. yes that, that's very difficult to do something like that that they and you have to be very clear or you know your intention has to be made clear i'd like to ask you guys um now we've moved into the area of imagery what about uh Godwin cream's videos do you see any um any following on of, of any of the themes or, or you don't see that uh, in any of their work? Not really, we haven't, um, to be honest, we haven't kind of looked at the videos with that lens, but uh, okay. nothing is leaping out to my mind that, that um, caused me any consternation. You've, not, uh, you've, we've, not, we've, you've not seen the girls on film video then, Tanya? Oh, I was thinking about their own songs. Right. Oh, the ones that they did for others. Oh, yes. yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's, that's a whole hornet's nest. Sorry, yeah. 
but again, look, they were just doing what was um, popular at the time, weren't they? I mean, they were pushing the envelope, sure, but they were, they were mm. still reflecting pretty much the uh, where popular culture was that was at. Um, so, I wouldn't want to castigate them for uh, sort of judgments that everyone else around them was was making. Sure, sure. You've you've got some other interesting uh, points of view, haven't you, on on some other album covers? Um, I know you, you mentioned uh, "How Dare You" as well, and I, I'm going to throw another one into the pot as well. Um, Deceptive Bends. With the the model being sort of dragged from the sea in a red dress, wasn't the original photo session with her naked? Is that right? It was, yes. Um, in Eric Stewart's autobiography, there's a couple of um, outtakes. Yes, that's correct. That's right. What are your thoughts on that, folks? Well, um, I think, yeah, I, I, have, I, I saw a, a pencil sketch of the original design that showed the, the woman naked, and I, I gather from the commentary on the designer's website that they wanted the woman to have the the kind of curves that would reflect the the bends in the title of the album cover i mean it's just um it's just supposed to be sexually alluring um there's nothing new about that um you know it's it's unfortunate that people still seem to kind of buy into that kind of default imagery but um you know, again, that's that's was the kind of that's what was prevalent at the time. So the titillation, yeah, mm. yeah. I also, it's coincidentally, you, you might have seen this too, but on the the website, it said they asked Jessica Lang to be the model, <laughs> and uh, apparently, she her agent got back and said, no, she doesn't do things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Jessica. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> brilliant and how about the how dare you cover then is that is that more um women portrayed as victims i guess the the, the main image of the of the blonde woman the gin soaked woman with the smudge makeup uh i guess is a bit of a stereotype of the stay-at-home wife that we might have seen in golden rings mm. uh you know on her first or second marriage and she's miserable again and bored with the housework and the husband's at work um, all the time and, and, and ignoring her. So I guess it was portraying a bit of a stereotype. Though I'm aware of the fact that um, uh, Hypnosis, who designed that one, um, Storm Thorgensen from Hypnosis, was saying that this was uh, a sign of them being socially conscious, that they were acknowledging the fact that this sad lady in the foreground um, is wasting away and that the the man was the person causing her misery. Right. I'm not quite sure I picked that up from the picture. I just thought it was <laughs> uh, a stereotype of a, of a stay-at-home wife. Uh, but again, uh, I don't think I thought too much about it at the time. It seemed to fit in with the Don't Hang Up um, song yeah. and, um, and with the way that women were being portrayed. I don't know. Tanya, have you got any more comments on that? Well, so I think uh, it to... To answer Sean's original question, I, I, I think there is still a sense of victimhood there, though, isn't there? That um, she's um, become 
lost and, and powerless and has resorted to, to alcohol um, to get through the day. Mm. Uh, it's just become a bit of a sad case. Uh, so it sort of ticks that box that, and it does raise the question you, you and I were talking, Lindy, about um, the lyrics of, of How Dare You itself and, and whether there's any uh, implied abuse there in, in that relationship given the reference to um, safety. Um, so so there, there could be uh, um, something even even more uh, going on beneath the surface. Well, it's interesting that on the back cover we, we see the TV screen, don't we, with uh, a th- what looks like domestic violence uh, taking place. It's the, I believe it's the character who's driving the sports car on the front cover seems to be beating up his wife on the TV screen. So there's, de- there's definitely a dark undercurrent going on there. Yeah, because it doesn't seem to relate directly to any of the lyrics on the songs, does it? Even in Don't Hang Up, if that's what we're referring to there, it's a kind of, it's just a breakdown in, in a marriage, isn't it? It doesn't, doesn't allude to anything that appears on the cover directly, mm. I think. Don't Hang Up's an interesting one because I went back and had a look at those lyrics and tried to work out why it all fell apart. And right. what the song talks about is, I guess, the protagonist's jealousy about the fact these waiters were masturbating his wife's <laughs> body. Mm. And then as she has that line saying, don't say nobody's safe in my house or nobody's safe in our house. Mm. And I thought, oh gosh, okay, they had an argument, he got jealous, he hit her and and now he's, you know, feeling bad about it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there could be a connection there with the kind of images we see in the cover. Mm. You're right, That's I hadn't thought of that line, yes, and you mentioned it before, uh, Tanya, nobody's nobody's safe in our house, that's right. And that's quite sinister actually, isn't it, In, in hindsight? The protagonist sounds to me like he didn't want to get married in the first place. There's a kind of ominous uh, atmosphere. I mean, it's a they brilliant song. They never do, Paul. They never do. And it's amazing that that, that uh, pretty much all of them, apart from Graham, have, have been married forever, haven't they? Yeah, we, we, we should mention that back in the real world. It's got to be quite unusual that three out of the four of the band have been yeah. married for either nearly or more than 50 years. I know. Um, and, uh, to their you know, original... Wives, so that's um, at least in the real world. That's that's a, that's a good sign. Definitely. And and have they got? I know Eric's got a a, a daughter. Have the others got daughters? Uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin, and Sue don't have kids. The others have children. Yeah. yeah. Graham's got five, I think. And lol, I'm not sure. Mm. And I'm not sure how many kids Eric's got. Got actually. But, uh, yeah, they've got kids. Because I was thinking about um, working girls, and I, I just thought, well, where did that come from? You are this idea of uh, a woman working in a professional capacity and, and experiencing harassment mm. and I, I wondered whether that might have been his daughter's experience right that uh, it came through that could have been not, not sure what age his kids would have been at that point but 
they could have been grown up or nearly grown up, I think. Yeah. The, I the think, ages. yeah. I, I think I think she would have been from just piecing together from his autobiography. Mm. Um, I think she would have been like late teens, young, early twenties, maybe. What, what do you think of the autobiographies? Have you read Eric and Kevin's? And if so, does it shed any light? Do you think on on their musical careers? Well, I've read the Eric one, and okay. <laughs> we've got to talk about those pin-up posters, don't we? <laughs> if oh, we're talking yeah. about images of women, <laughs> is, is there um, a whole section called "I Like Women" or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it? yeah, and it's got all pictures of his pin-up posters that he collects. Yeah. Um, Look, it was, to be honest, it was a one of those um, don't meet your heroes moments for me. I mean, I, mm. I really um, still yeah, hugely admire his musical talent and his uh, studio engineering and his voice. Um, but uh, it was a little bit of a letdown, I think, to read the book. And I, I felt that... Um, he, he came across as um, kind of a bit more superficial than I had thought he might be. That And that could be a, just um, because he's written it in his own words and perhaps if he was telling a story to someone else, it might have come out differently and there might have been something a bit more or profound or interesting to grab onto. But, mm. um, yeah, I, it was... It was interesting to read to some extent but I didn't feel it was particularly enlightening to you know not not a great revelation to hear that yeah I really like the Beatles they were quite a good band (laughs) 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 yeah really (laughs) what else can you tell us Eric Um, and hearing all about um, I mean it's good to hear about all of his interests it was surprising how um, relatively little of the book was about the music, and there was mm. just as much there about his cars, about sports and his cars, yeah, and wines in his houses. Yeah, yeah, and his wine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> haven't read Kevin's book. Oh, really? Um, and oh, you'll no, enjoy that. No. You, you'll definitely yeah. enjoy that. And we, um, of course, we want want to get Liam's book, but uh, can't get it out to Australia yet. Uh, not available for delivery to Australia yet. So yeah, and some uh, even some Europeans are complaining that it's going for like four hundred pounds and, and stuff. Um, yeah, it sounds like the publishers need to get their act together on that one, and that they ought to get it on on Kindle or something. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah mm. or, or an audio book. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Still dying to ask you about the Neanderthal Man video. <laughs> I'd never seen it, you know, in full until until you flagged it up. I was astounded. Good grief! It's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> talk talk us in detail through your take then, both on on that video. Well, it's astonishment, really, isn't it? <laughs> if, if you ever want to um, see an encapsulation of, of the way that women were being portrayed in popular culture generally, mm. I think it's worthwhile uh, looking up Neanderthal Man on, on YouTube. It's terrific. Uh, you'll see the band performing. They're wearing regular clothes, as you'd expect. Eric's even wearing his sunglasses. It's quite ordinary. But then when we get to That's the middle age of the song, we sort of move to some kind of a quarry. 
and um, where three women in fur and leopard skin bikinis of are doing some kind of Paleolithic go-go dance. <laughs> and um, nothing was choreographed in those days. They were just sort of jumping around a little bit. And then lo and behold, they um, joined the band um, for the last part of the, of the song. And um, to their credit, the band members don't pay too much attention, though I think that Kevin gets a, a view that he doesn't really want to see of a gyrating woman right in front of the drum kit. But it's, it's just, you, you look at it now and it's just, it's just really funny. It really is funny. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just wonderful to sort of think of how far Godly and Cream got <laughs> all those years later in producing far better videos. <laughs> and I, I look back now and not only am I not a great fan of Neanderthal Man, though I did hear it on the radio at the time, it did make an impact. Right. Um, uh, I, I'm not really, I, I'm astounded that both the uh, that particularly ordinary song and that atrocious video <laughs> actually <laughs> launched their career. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's amazing. It goes right back to a million a million years BC, doesn't it? The, the kind of Raquel Welsh thing. Uh, yes. I, I'm sure it was completely uh, based on that. Yeah. Again, it's just titillation, isn't it? Um, do you, they do. They do look a bit embarrassed. Do, do, do you know that <laughs> just before their first appearance on Top of the Pops promoting Donna, um, they made a decision whether to go on dressed in their normal denims, which they did. Um, but the alternate, which they came close to, apparently, <laughs> was being really outlandish and dressing up in, uh, I think I'm quoting, uh, polystyrene hot pants. This is the band we're talking about. Yes, yeah, see, was, see-through <laughs> hot pants, I think, yeah, Paul. I'm yeah. Not sure, yeah, I'm not sure how that would have worked, I but mean... certainly they, they, would, they nearly <laughs> went through being even more sort of outrageous than everybody else. Thank they, goodness they, they didn't. Did, yeah, they just did their normal double then <laughs> for more comfortable. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Lindy. Yeah, that, that, that was a real giggle. So I think people are going to give you a hard time for um, allowing us to rabbit on about... Oh, no, no. I, th- I think there's going to be an awful... No, I think there'll be a lot of people saying the same as us, that we just never thought of those songs or those lyrics, those images in in, in those terms. You know, we're sort of trapped in our own maleness in that we didn't even realise we were looking at it from a perspective. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and 10CC is, you know, it is a rather male-dominated universe, um, uh, as as we've said, so that's... Yeah, and I think, I mean... Um, I think Lindy would agree we we weren't necessarily overtly listening to these songs with a female perspective either it was only after um, mulling over some of the commentary in the podcast that got me thinking well you know why, why do I respond differently to these songs mm. and that sort of got the wheels mm. turning um, and then some of this other stuff came to the surface but um yeah, it, it hasn't detracted from our enjoyment of, of the music or our regard for the musicians. No. We were talking about how um, in the context of the time, you, not only did you not hear very many uh, female musicians performing their own works on the radio, you didn't hear any female DJs, no. you didn't have any female um, journalists or not many female journalists, particularly writing about music. It was a, a different world, I guess, um, and so 
when it even when it came to listening to consequences and the way that that was put forward well this is a world in which we could we're still watching the Benny Hill show and are you being served on TV <laughs> and so these things didn't jump out at you at the state at that time as being all that unusual or strange mm-hmm. it, was a, it was just a different time and it's funny to look back on that <laughs> Can you tell me that lovely story of Lindy? I think uh, Tanya texted you uh, yeah. during those awful bushfires. Tanya, didn't you say Kevin and Lowell were, were onto something here? Yeah. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so what was it, Lindy's late, late January, something like that? Um, and so the fires were had been ravaging... Um, many states in Australia and our skies were just filled with this thick smoke. It was, it was uh, unprecedented. We, we're so used to uh, having difficult bushfire seasons in Australia. Mm. But um, it was just, it started really early and it, and it just didn't stop. You had these fires blazing for weeks and weeks and weeks and, and our skies of our major cities just filled up with smoke and the air quality plummeted and people were staying inside and um, uh, everything was being affected. Um, and meantime, communities were stranded and you know, volunteers were exhausted and the properties were being lost. And it, so it was, it was really um, quite a, it's a devastating period. Um, but then at the same time, we had uh, tropical thunderstorms and, and flooding, as is often the case in Australia, um, towards the end of, of our summer. And so you had these different um, natural forces sort of bearing down on us and, and wreaking havoc. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I just sent Lindy a text and said, yeah, Kevin Lowell got it right with consequences, didn't they? And that prompted her to, um, well, you can pick up the story, Lindy, you, you then got onto the net. Oh, yes, I started looking around because I thought, oh, consequences, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, Tanya's absolutely right. We just had this huge hailstorm, massive hail and winds. And as Tanya and I usually say on a windy day, one or the other says to the other, oh, it's not a good day for a debut. <laughs> and, gosh, we must go back and check that out. And so I started looking around to see if I could get um, a recording of consequences. My triple album set had been on the back seat of the car and melted. No, and no. I didn't have a CD version. I thought I'm going to look around and see if I can find that music so Tanya and I can revisit that oh. and revisit the uh, radio, play, you know, the Peter Cook play as well. And then I, I came across your podcast and it was just such an exciting moment. We thought, <laughs> right, that's it. We were hooked since then oh. and I've uh, been following you every week. It's been a fantastic journey for us. Oh, wonderful. And got us through those weird times and also, as it turned out, the pestilence that followed. <laughs> yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's it's helped Paul and, and me through it as well, to be honest. The podcast is a, a nice... Um, a nice thing to hang on to, isn't it, Paul? It's a, yeah, it's a sense of continuity. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's continued, well, virtually unchanged, which is very fortunate for us. Yeah, yeah, we've we've, ad- we've adapted, haven't we? To, 
I was going to say, it's just it's lovely to feel this kind of sense of community. Like Lindy and I, sort of isolated in in our bedroom in uh, the southern hemisphere, listening to this incredibly obscure album. <laughs> you try to explain to other people, and their eyes glaze over. <laughs> then know. you get them to listen yeah. to it, and they just walk out of their their room shaking their head. So, yeah. oh, we're the only ones in the world who understand the, the value and the the innovation in this music. It's so exciting and. Um, <laughs> But nobody else appreciated, and then now we've we've found this whole community. It's just it's fantastic. It is wonderful, isn't it? And and you'd get even more sense of that community if if you saw uh, the the sort of rabid um, furore that the the whole uh, the podcast and the re-release and everything created on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook groups were absolutely on fire, weren't they, Paul? At the, yeah. at, at, <laughs> around spring last year, summer last year. Yeah, it's small numbers, but, you know, passionate people who are into consequences, like any cult, if you like, it, they're passionate about it. Um, yeah, so it's interesting to see. Yeah, it's a, a wonderful record. It's definitely my favourite record of all time. Do you think Peter Cook um, portrays women in an interesting way on that record? <laughs> That's Go a on. whole other podcast. It is, it is, it is. But I'd be very interested in the your short thoughts. short answer is no. <laughs> Not in an interesting way. In an entirely predictable way. Yeah. Yeah, they're hardly there. Um, they're just the backdrop. Um, they're just cartoon characters. Um, I mean, but, Con- Consequences was the only time he ever worked with his wife, Judy Huxtable. Mm. Yes, and she's a prostitute mm. with black knickers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. We, we, we made a joke, I think, Paul, was it a week or two ago, where some of the women characters for me in the 10cc songs, as portrayed by LOL, remind me of Terry Jones in Monty Python. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a ridiculous parody of, of women. And I wonder He's if. just it's, a naughty boy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, I, f- you know, for me, it's just amusing because I've always been fond of, of Python. But I, I dread to think what the female take on that is. <laughs> Ooh, can he talk? Can he talk? Yes, hey, yes hey. of course I can talk. I'm Minister for Overseas Development. Ooh, he's a clever little boy, isn't he? A clever <laughs> little fellow. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we listen. We listen to it for reasons other than yeah, hearing the female voices and characters. Put that way. No, and, and and there's so much, isn't there? There's so much uh, to enjoy. There's such depth, isn't there? Um, yeah. Musically fascinating. Mm. Did you see the? Um, did that BBC Four um, drama reenactment of uh, the time around the uh, life of Brian Ferrari get? transmitted in australia did you see that you too no, i don't that, think so no that was what was clever about that was that they gave comeuppance to michael palin and terry jones because it was a kind of semi-realistic documentary mm. but the scenes with jones and palin had them in bed dressed as as women <laughs> when they were just talking about the, the reaction to the film so they were kind of getting their comeuppance there which is quite <laughs> wonderful wonderful check it out it's Cool, cool, cool at night. 
So I've had to go out and get a ribbing from my husband, who's a real prog fan, and I've always um, uh-huh. dissed his love of a lot of prog uh-huh. music. And he said, you're participating in a podcast about consequences and you, you're giving me yeah. a hard time about being a prog fan. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But he's a man after my own heart as a, as a big prog, um, prog fan as well. So um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this both. It's been been wonderful yeah. getting to know you and, and to hear such interesting fresh ideas you know it's been a a real thrill so lindy and tanya thanks so much thank you thank you both very much it's been great fun yeah take care of yourselves you you. too brilliant been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening